So you, you got here safely, Mel, with all of the travel issues you had today. Yeah, nice and on time. Although it's nice to have travel issues at the moment almost because it, it, nice. it means that I am allowed to travel. <laughs> Correct. And we have a pretty awesome person on the show today, Beck Randall, who is a local filmmaker and cinematographer with pretty big dreams and pretty big plans. And also she's already done some awesome work that we're hoping to see. So Yeah, so I first came across um, Beck through the the All Abilities project that she was doing with the Wodonga Jets called Becoming Bulldogs. And basically uh, it's a, just a documentary on what goes into ma- to making that football team tick. And from what I've seen, and I'm hoping that other people will see as well, there is – there's a lot of craft that's gone into it, and she's a very impressive person. And I dare I say, got a little bit of a girl crush. That's which, not the first time today you've said that. No, I so, know, but I've, I said, I'm saying this on air right now. We're not on air, sorry, Josh. That's okay, but can I just point out the fact that you've got such a girl crush on these guests we've had today that the last one, when I was giving Skype... <laughs> A rating out of five for performance. You thought that I was rating the person like Uber. <laughs> Literally. So that just goes how far I have to learn in this industry because Josh hung up on our guests and the little star rating came up and I was like, did you just give our guest five stars, the one that I've got on board today? Yeah. And he's like, no, this isn't Uber, Mel. No. This is not <laughs> what happens. So it makes me wonder, what would have happened if I gave it two stars? Would you have been really offended? <laughs> yeah, I would have. I would have just, well, stuck up for my guests, I think. But, okay, just I'm going on a tangent here. But this is like when you go to a yoga class or something like this and they would go, how do you rate this experience? Have you had a positive experience or you would you rate it one to five? And that's what I thought you were rating, the quality, <laughs> <laughs> the quality of the interaction that we had. Yeah, yeah. So, Like I've ticked a box. I'm using Skype for a podcast interview. Rate your guest. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how it works, obviously. Yeah, clearly. Which we is, might have to swap seats next time. Oh, you can press all the buttons. I that gives me a lot of anxiety, but I want to learn. But you, what you are particularly good at is plugging for us to get coffees. So it's I'm about so excited. let's do it. Can someone please buy me a coffee? I know already from what Josh has told me and shared that someone is buying us coffees. I want to know who it is, but at the moment I'm feeling much more relevant because I've got five coffees to my name since I've. You have. It's been a coffee increase. Hello. Which is quite lovely. So go to punchingsideways.com, click on the buy me a coffee button, and you can donate up to five coffees, which yeah. is at three bucks each. That's pretty impressive. Josh, did you get me on this show just to get coffee? No, I got you on the show to call me out when I don't rate our guests five out of five. <laughs> <laughs> From now on, we will rate all our guests. And I needed someone on the show that's more poorly dressed than me. Yeah. Well... That was an easy fix yeah, for me. That's a big two <laughs> two ticks in those boxes. I'm on trend now, though. The yeah, project told me. Yeah, we've, had, we've even had your shoes complimented on by previous guest. I know. This room is a decent-sized room, but your head almost didn't fit in here <laughs> after that. <laughs> yeah, well, no one else gives me compliments, so No, it's but they nice. should give you coffees. Give me some coffee, please. I've got a half-cold one sitting here on the table because 
and I had to make it myself. Again, like we've talked about this, you've been bitching about that for two months. <laughs> I know. So talking about coffees. Yeah. Please give us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com and let's listen to this great lady that is Beck Randall. I'm really excited. Having never met her or only seen just a little bit of footage that's so amazing, I'm super stoked that you got her on. This is new for your control issues. I like it. It is, and I'm learning to release control. The more coffees, the more I can release control, folks. (laughs) Okay, this is Beck Randall, filmmaker, cinematographer, and... Videographer. Videographer, which is pretty sweet. Yep. Well, welcome Beck, who uh, I'm very impressed by this person as well, Josh, because I met you, Beck, through my radio show, actually, and I got you on because you had just started or were in the stages of um, producing a documentary called Becoming Bulldogs, which really tweaked my interest because, as I explained to Josh just earlier, if you've ever seen the Jets play, there is just such joy on their faces that you can't dismiss at all. So the fact that you were shining light on that drew me to you and then to actually talk to you made me even more excited to learn a bit more. So can you sort of tell me about how you got into being a filmmaker, videographer, or explain to everyone at home who may not know who you are, shame on you, and um, let us know how you sort of came to where you are today with doing Sure. That. I probably had always dreamed of being in a creative industry like film or music, but it just hadn't really became an opportunity until I was in my late 20s. I started, you know, photography as a bit of a hobby and it grew very quickly and then that then morphed into videography. I was really enjoying it, but I still felt like I just wanted to take the work to the next level and and work on something that was really meaningful and had purpose. So I had a lot of issues with self-doubt about my ability, sort of feelings of being an imposter and, you know, a bit of a fraud and all my work had been like a fluke which I think is quite common in, in women, you know, to have the imposter syndrome, they call it. Uh, so I thought the only way I could kind of overcome that was to get myself an education because up to that point I'd been self-taught. Uh, so I enrolled in uh, cinematography at the Victorian College of Arts, so cinematography intensive, and um, that was just a dream come true to go there because I'd always wanted to go to that school as a teenager uh, and I finally did. So um, that experience was great because what I actually discovered was I already had a lot of knowledge. And I guess because I had been working quite intuitively that up to that point, I did. it turns out I did kind of know what I was doing after all and did have some skills. And uh, that kind of gave me the confidence yeah, to dare that bit bigger, I guess. And... Probably the next, around that same time, I came across some statistics about women in film that really just showed how under, underrepresented women are in the film industry. So at that time in 
probably over the last decade in the top grossing films, women accounted for about 5% as directors and cinematographers. And only about 30% of women made up the speaking parts in film too. So in front of the camera and behind the camera, women were much less represented than men. And, of course, so other minorities like people with a disability, they only made up for something like 2% or something really ridiculous. So um, that kind of gave me the thought that maybe I had the power to change that and make movies and stories because I always had lots of stories in my head that would include more women and other minority groups like people with a disability. So that's kind of really what got me to the point of sort of just prior to becoming uh, becoming Bulldogs. And um, I think the next step was like finding a project that I could make like my debut film and um, something that was meaningful to me because I have a brother with a disability as well. So um, I contacted a lady who I knew had a son that played with the Jets because I'd heard that they had integrated with Wodonga Bulldogs and I thought, geez, that's a really great example of inclusion for people with a disability. That was sort of how it kicked off. Um, Her name's Katrina Redcliffe, her son's Jared, and so he features very heavily in the film and we workshopped the idea, took it to the board. They were really excited but then when we presented to the players, Wow, you know they were just pumped big time. Yeah. It was I, I wish I wish I had recorded that moment because it was so fulfilling and just yeah, like you see their joy on the field play on the field playing football. So you can imagine what it's like when they're told, you know, let's make a movie about you guys. Yeah. So. <laughs> There's one of the players on on the Jets called Elvis. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I think I've seen Elvis at a talent night. Yeah, well, doing, he's, yeah. he's changed his name to Elvis Aaron Presley. <laughs> so I that just shows the level of, oh, I, he just loves performing as well. He he used to come to every open mic night that, that I hosted and was just there with always on time, always had his gear ready and just there was a level of, um, joy that he got from performing as well as there's things as well super reliable you could always count that he would be there and if he wasn't there he would always make sure that you all knew why he wasn't as well but what I'm sort of wanted to just backtrack back sure those statistics statistics that <laughs> you found did that sort of want you to give the proverbial sort of middle finger and just go, you said it very much more softly and articulately, but when you come across those figures, did you just want to go, yeah, no, there's something that I want to do about this, which you sort of said. Was it more about a a bit of a fight and prove what you are capable of versus just sort of saying, oh, these figures aren't aren't so good. Maybe I could do something a little bit about it. Was a bit... Well, it was quite alarming, yeah, because as it should be, 5%'s not much. Um, and I, I guess I did feel a bit like that, but probably talking back to the issues I had with self-doubt and confidence, I've always been better at fighting for someone else. 
as opposed to myself. So it was kind of, it gave me a reason, a cause to go, you know what? It's not just about me. It's about all these women. So I think that was probably a bit of a part of it too. Cause at that point, I'm still kind of doubting my ability. Let's be real. Um, it's a, a demon that, you know, I will have to keep working on. But, um, yeah, to have, to fight for other people is, yeah, probably definitely fueling the fire in a big way. Do you think that's something that people are even aware of? That there is that gulf of underrepresentation there? Well, I certainly wasn't aware. So I can only assume that people, the general public, don't realize. But, you know, at the Academy Awards this year, there seemed to be some themes that came out in some of the women's speeches. Um, Rebel Wilson, you know, she had a bit of a crack at, you know, the fact that the winners were all male. Um, sorry, when I'm saying that it was like the best film and best director, I think there was another one, uh, sort of like the three top accolades were all um, won by men. So I think, you know, hopefully there is, we're starting to see a shift and I'm certainly seeing in funding streams that there's a lot more, uh, you know, grants and things available for women in film. So yeah, I think, I think you're right. Definitely people, don't, aren't generally aware of how really bad it is. And, and I think if you stop and look at some of the top 10 films that you say you just personally love and how many men really feature in those films as opposed to women, you will go, oh, it's true. It's really true. There's, you know, so many less women. Do you find, Beck, that because there is such a divide there is a pressure for you to feel like you have to execute much better work to be recognised than potentially, no disrespect, Josh, than if you were a man in a man a male-dominated industry where you would just automatically sort of be assumed that you knew what you were doing and you've almost sort of pushed through the door a little bit and said, hey, I've got a product here. But do you, do you feel a pressure that it has to be way better than, than what potentially the expectations of a, a, a man's production, I would say? Does that, does that weight sort of fall on your shoulder a little bit to prove yourself? I think even removing gender from that, I think just because it's such a competitive industry, I think you do just it's you do just have to be at the top of your game in order to have success so that's kind of my endeavor now is to really get as much skills and experience as i can to sort of take it to the pinnacle really um but yeah i guess maybe even just being a woman in general like that experience of growing up and you know i was born in 1980 so you know back then really that we still didn't think women were suitable as police officers or in any sort of emergency service type role. Um, so we probably, it's ingrained in our thinking that we do have to be better and more competitive perhaps than our counterparts. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting interesting question. I'll have to think more about that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm only sort of bringing it up because I have felt that in my own life in dealing with a lot of men and not that and I don't know whether it was a pressure that I put on myself more so 
I think there was a it was it was coming from other people that were men as well, but also it came from myself. Well, if I'm going to be in this, I'm going to be better so that they can't dispute why I'm here. Right. If that makes right. sense. So it was almost yeah, like sticking it to them pretty much. Uh, yeah. So that 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 was why I asked the question because um I think when I heard about the becoming bulldogs as well, I can we just have it just a little 30 second aside and describe what becoming bulldogs is for people that are listening? I yeah. think it's come up three or four times and we actually <laughs> haven't described what it yeah, is. Yeah, right. So. I really wanted to play the audio. But that's, that's <laughs> we okay. can do that. I can yeah. put that in later. So, um, so Beck, would you describe it? Yes, us? thank you. Um, so, becoming bulldogs is uh, follows a all abilities football team uh, who were formerly called the Jets. They were a standalone football club that merged with the mainstream football club Wodonga Bulldogs. So it's following that journey, the transition into that club and it's, uh, yeah, so it follows their journey through the 2019 season and it not only looks at their time on the field but also off the field and, you know, some of the players are very impressive. They have some fabulous, oh, just the personalities are outstanding, you know. They're just such a joy to be around. And um, I think that really just comes through on a film so, so um, you know, so, oh, sorry, can't think of the it word. Radiates. Yeah. Yes. It radiates through the film <laughs> in the audio as well as just the little snippet that I've seen. Just like I described to you, just the joy that they have with being allowed to do, or I shouldn't say allowed, but being able to do something that that they just love doing so much and being, like you said, included mm-hmm. and included with the Bulldogs is a, is a great thing. But they, they already had their sort of little league and everything going on and it, it's just giving them an outlet, I suppose, that and forgive me if I'm wrong, that there would be a perception that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise. This enables them to participate and be part of that community. But I think we're still a long way to go, even though there's a few clubs like Jets that exist, I think there's still a long way to go in the community in general. Participation rates for people with a disability are so much lower than uh, people without a disability. So... There's a lot of work to do and a lot of perceptions to still change just about what people with a disability are capable of at in sport, at work, and, and just contributing to society. So, you know, I'm really hoping the film will expand people's knowledge and persuade them to think a little differently and maybe they can stop and think, well, how can I make my world more inclusive for people with a disability? One thing for me watching the what I have seen of Becoming Bulldogs was that if I didn't have any context around what I was about to see from Mel before she sent it to me, it wouldn't have been what I took away that I was watching people with a series of different disabilities playing a sport. To me, it just looked like a bunch of people that weren't amateurs at the sport, but having the best time ever. And it was only, I didn't even really, honestly, I wouldn't have known what I was looking at to start with, except for the fact there was a bunch of people having fun playing football, which yeah. I think is a kind of magic. Right. Yeah. And I think it also 
will hopefully highlight not only the difference that it makes to our lives by having the diversity and the vibrance and the colour and and the ability to reflect on our differences. I think what it does for the people with a disability, how much confidence they get from just being accepted and having the ability to expand on their network, meet new people. You know, I think just following some of the individual outcomes of some of the players since they've been involved in the team, you know, they've become far living independently and getting employment and they really attribute some of that to playing the game. So it's a big deal. It is. It's really big. And I would um, attest, I think, that sometimes what people would see as a disability can actually give you so much more ability on a different spectrum. Absolutely. So I, I know a lot of – I have some very good friends, actually, that either have Asperger's or a – um, on the autistic spectrum and that, and the level of focus they have towards one thing, like I could just dream about having. So it just, I think to look at it sometimes even as a disability isn't really fair. Yeah, uh, it's like, probably our lack of language to describe yeah. correctly what it is that we're yeah. experiencing. Uh, and yeah. What we're seeing in people. And yeah. some of the most amazing people that I know would be considered inverted commas to have a disability but i look at it completely the other way in that what can i learn from this person because they see the world completely differently to how everyone else does it's really cool yeah so i've got another project um that i'm working on with a with australia's first legally blind fashion designer her name's nick behind (laughs) She is an incredibly uh, amazing woman. She will hopefully help raise that awareness too about the perceptions that people with a disability only fit inside a box. They only can do um, entry-level jobs. They need you know, a certain amount of support, et cetera, et cetera. She, you know, she's just breaking all those rules. And unfortunately, COVID-19 has come and kind of put the brakes on that project, but it will form part of the story. But, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to that, to sharing that story as well with the world because uh, she's, you know, she says people with a disability really have to problem solve every day, like just in even getting around and doing stuff that we just find easy and take for granted, you know. So that's their life. They're super, there's a specialist skill is tackling issues and problems that, you know, just in getting around and um, being accepted and, yeah, a whole range of issues. So they really are you know, very skilled to look at becoming, um, sorry, I'm just trying to find the right words here because oh, it's totally gone from my brain. That's Don't worry fine. about it. It happens to, to me a lot. Yes, it happens to Mel a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, not so much, Josh, definitely me. I found the, I found the term, sorry. Um, it's about them being innovative. Innovation, you know, people with a disability, their ability to be innovative in their everyday lives, um, you know, makes them suitably qualified to do that in business as well. So, yeah, that's a project that hopefully we'll share in the future. Very cool. I, 
I really like that you're talking a lot about other people, which, <laughs> which is nice. But I want to hear a little bit more yeah. about you. Yeah, our shows about digging into the person. Yeah. So. Okay. <laughs> so, so you're you're being very generous with your sharing of your love towards other people, and I feel like that's that's your personality, which is why you're leaning in towards that. But there's obviously a lot of qualities that you have that leans towards your generosity towards showing light on other causes. But what you said, a lot of what you did previously was self-taught. So how did you how did you go about that, and what made you sort of just go, all right? Well, I'm just going to teach myself how to do this. What happened that tweaked you down that road, and you're just like, okay, this is happening now. I think creativity has been a part of my life from before I can really remember. You know, music was oh, such a big, big part of my youth. Um, so back in 1986, let's say. My mum was a nurse and my dad was a working musician and sometimes he didn't get home in time to look after me when my mum went to work. So <laughs> occasionally I went to the hospital and uh, there was a, um, a piano there. So um, keeping myself occupied because no iPads back then, uh, I taught myself piano. I'm not a great pianist, but, you know, I can tap out a tune, a few tunes. So... Um, I was always making up songs. I love to sing, um, but again, not a big area of self-doubt there. So, um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I was always doing something creative, writing stories all the time. I think I wrote a screenplay when I was like 12. Um, <laughs> wow. somewhere. It's, it's lost on an old IBM somewhere. But um, I don't know, I think it's in my nature just to have a go, just to try something and just keep working at it. Um, maybe I've been quite fortunate that a lot of the things I've had a go at, I have been able to sort of nut them out. Or I think I'm very good at also finding out if I if I don't know, I'll find out who can teach me or how to learn or um, That's very much like you, Mel. Yeah. You're I very good have, at that. It's the only reason I'm friends <laughs> with you, Josh. Yeah, I know. Once she figures out how to press these buttons herself. Like, what can I get out of? <laughs> I've got to spend time with him, obviously, to, oh, to get a level well, of trust developed. That lack of feeling is mutual. <laughs> <laughs> and then what can I get out of this situation? Yeah. You, you're totally right. Like, I think I, I said said I said it last night to back on the phone. I was like, it's I call it the rice cooker method, which I don't know. I made it up. I'm, in, uh, I'm intrigued because I've <laughs> sold a few rice cookers in my day, and yeah, so I'm not sure where this is going. <laughs> the absorb, the absorption method, where if you are around someone or something, you will automatically absorb part of what they're doing, whether you are doing it on purpose or not. So, the fact that I'm sitting here with Josh right now, and he is operating all the tech and that. I am still taking in a level of that information. It may not look like I am, but there will be stuff that will be getting squirreled away in the back <laughs> that will be of use in the future. And, and if you can surround yourself or find people that, like you said, Beck, can, I suppose, be your rice cooker, <laughs> <laughs> then that, that's a, that's a really good way to, way to learn. And often it, well, for me, it comes from just doing stuff for free. But 
Can but- I can I bring it like you're saying? It's awesome, and I love the rice cooker thing. Bring that back to Beck. Being talking about being around people, were you? A, would you have called yourself a football fan? And if not, does seeing a group of people that have as much or more joy for the sport than most people you would ever come across altogether has that kind of rubbed off on you in any way? I already was a massive Collingwood fan and um, I was fortunate to go to my first game when I was nine years old. It was the Collingwood versus West Coast preliminary final replay match. Wow. Bit of a mouthful. That was at Waverley Park. So, um, yeah, big footy fan. I grew up playing netball. My dad played football. Um, I come from the humble little town, Gurumbat, near Benalla. Um, okay, Benalla I've heard of. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, country football was a big, big part of our life because, again, there wasn't much to do, really. So, um, and I have been away from that um, that scene for quite some years, so it was a little bit unusual going back into a football club and particularly, you know, Gurumbat was a very small club compared to Wodonga Bulldogs, so I immediately noticed some differences in the way the club operates. But I, I absolutely love watching the Jets play and spending time with them has been so fulfilling. Uh, it's such a simple thing to enable someone to do something they love. Um, it's, it's such a simple thing. So, um, yeah, to answer your question, I think if I wasn't already a football fan, it definitely would have won me over. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think that anyone that um, watches your documentary when it is released, post whatever we're all going through right now, will um, definitely get a, a feel for that as well because, yeah, from what, I don't know, from what I've seen from that little snippet, it's going to be very impressive. So, well and, and we're talking about a snippet that is that publicly available, Beck? That the little snippet we're talking about. Yeah, yep. yeah. I I produced the teaser ahead of the post production schedule just because it's my debut film. I was trying to build um, some support for the film, and I just really wanted people to know what they were backing, what you know, what I could offer this project who they were investing in. So um, the response has been fantastic, uh, exceeded my expectations. So, um, you know, and when when we initially workshopped this idea, I immediately had a vision for how I wanted the film to look. I just, I wanted it to have attitude. I wanted it to be highly entertaining and amusing because people don't really get the reason still today why inclusion is important and some people still view disability unfortunately as you know a real a negative thing so I thought you know if I can make something that will you know get people's attention hopefully it will win them over and also inform them and persuade them as to why why we need to change I I was just wondering I guess it's a two-parter just if we zoom out for a second Obviously, everyone, other than I mean, me and Mel today, we're making the podcast work, obviously remotely. Right. We're doing a lot of these. Uh, Mel's here in person with me, and we're, our guests are joining us remotely. We're all in a bit of a creative holding pattern. How are you keeping your 
creative energy and focus up for something that unless you've already got all the footage, which I mean, you could probably tell us that if you have every all the assets that you already need, but how are you keeping your own motivation up and keeping all the stakeholders, you know, encouraged that it's actually going to happen through this now extended period of, you know, a creative break that we've all been put on by the world? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunately, this situation, the coronavirus has really had a big impact on my life because I have four children who are all primary school aged. And of course, the schools have been closed and now I'm responsible for homeschooling. So that has increased my demands in the home significantly. And, you know, it was already juggling. It really was a juggling act prior to COVID-19, just trying to have a career and be a mother of four. So it was almost like working two full-time jobs most of the time and now you throw in um, homeschooling, that's really three. So <laughs> so something has to give and unfortunately it is uh, my, my work. Um, but it's just a pause. So I've been obviously in touch with uh, some of the, the players to let them know that, you know, and I think most people understand that pretty much the whole film industry is um, on hold at the moment. And the unfortunate part was I really had a, a plan for releasing the film at certain film festivals and, of course, that has changed significantly. But, um, you know, I'm still really hopeful of having the film produced this year, probably later this year. All of the, well, most of the the uh, footage has, has been captured. There'll probably be a few pickup shots required here and there, but yeah, primarily it's just post production phase now. And just further to that, I guess you're probably someone that may have some insight into this. How are the players handling the fact that they're not able to play at the moment? Do you have any? Have you had contact with any of them? You said that you had spoken to some of the players. How are they? Because obviously there's no football at the moment anyway, as of May 2020. I uh, I know one is having quite a hard time with it, and he has, you know, he's put some things on Facebook that would would suggest that. The others haven't really disclosed to me that, you know, they're they're finding it challenging. But um, I can only assume that they're missing it. So you look, at, uh, we I think we just got an announcement to return to sport in some capacity. So I'm hoping that includes them as well. Yeah, yeah, because they're probably under more limitations with restrictions as well. I would imagine. I would expect their um, their risk might be higher if they were to contract coronavirus. It, it could have much uh, larger ramifications for their health. So, yeah, I'm not really sure what the directive will be for all ability sports. But um, yeah, that's a good point. It, it, it may be longer than the others. Yeah, I only just thought of it because, um, I, like, I know a lot of people that are working within, like, disability areas in care and their jobs of caring for people with um, perceived disabilities has been limited as well because of the higher risk that comes from having such a thing such as cystic fibrosis or something like that where your lungs are impacted. So I'm imagining that one, it's going to be very good for them to be able to watch 
a sport on TV and sort of get back into the swing of things, but they might be in a bit more of a holding pattern for a little bit longer than the rest of us, which is unfortunate. So let's get that movie edited. Yes. <laughs> so they can watch themselves on telly. Yeah, I can, I can edit audio to within an inch of its life, but I'm no help with video. Sorry, Beck. <laughs> well, I was really relieved to that Daniel Andrews, thank you, finally gave us a time frame that school will return in the coming weeks. Hallelujah. So, um, you know, I'm expecting within the next month, I'd say because I have a grade six child, a grade three child and two grade preps, so I have twins, uh, that started prep this year. And so I had this grand plan that this year I was going to – You're free. Control. Like I was, I was going to go berserk. You were counting down to that for four years. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, it changed things a little bit. But, um, yeah, so I expect within the next few – well, next, the 9th of May my twins will return to school. That will have a significant change on my time at home. Can we just put a little bit of perspective on something for people at home who may not – know the depth that goes into the amount of time that you've put into this production, how much time is actually involved in editing. Like, And I'm just going to relate it sort of to people putting on a festival or something like that and a lot of um, customers or patrons would just turn up and go, oh, that was shit or that was good or whatever and, and they've paid their money and off they go without having any idea of what has actually happened to get to that point where they can see that. So can you just, just with video editing, I know even if I'm just trying to do a 30-second little thing on my phone, like that takes me an hour. So how much time, because I'm sure there's people just going, oh, why can't she be just doing it when the kids are, you know, asleep? <laughs> like there's much more involved than I, what I think is given respect to it. Right. So can you just um, maybe put them back in their place? <laughs> sure. Uh, well, I also have the role of being producer. So, yeah, you you're know, making so, the actual content decisions, not yeah. just the technical decisions. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So, um, you know, sourcing um, the, like music for the score and things like that is all part of the time um, in terms of being ready to edit. It's a real art shaping a story that's been shot live without any control from you. So it is very time-consuming because I also really want it for it to be highly entertaining. In order to do that, I need music that will move the audience and I am um, – it's a really big deal for me to choose the right music and um, – you know, it's a piece of art that you don't want to rush, you know, to do the story justice. I think it it's going to take time. And, um, but, you know, I think we're talk- looking at, you know, a few, few months of hard work to get a, a really good piece of art. And when you say hard work, so how many hours of footage are we looking at? that you uh, have accumulated that then you have to painstakingly go through and pick and cut out bits that would probably be fine for any other purpose, but you've got to be brutal to a point, don't you? So so what are we looking at? Uh, there are – I haven't actually looked at how you, long – You probably the, don't want to. <laughs> um, 
but there is a lot of footage. There is um, loads of terabytes. You know, we're not just we're talking beyond gigabytes. So um, there's a lot of data to work through. Um, months of you know, there's lots of game time training. Uh, there's the national inclusion match in Sydney that we filmed. Presentation nights, time at home, time in the workplace. So there's a lot of lot of footage to work through. So yeah, it's going to be timely, but a worthy exercise. Just for some context for people listening, if the audio that you're listening to now, if just say this ends up being 50 minutes long, this episode, that would be about a five to one ratio for me. So by the time you hear it, I've probably spent from soup to nuts about five hours. So I would think it would be a a whole order of magnitude higher. So for each each minute, Beck, of finished footage, how long do you think that would be to get that right? Oh. Even even just a range. I think Mel wants a range. Yeah, give me a number. <laughs> if, if, uh, it's five, if it's if it's five to, to one, one or yeah. five to one. Yeah, but you know when you're working with sound and visual, like you could be looking at ten to one. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> no, but. I think it's important that oh, people is, yeah. people know that because there is this disengagement, and I have it as well. Of just going and same with Josh. I'll be like, Josh, where's his, where's our podcast? <laughs> yeah. <And> the other thing <laughs> you said you were going to do it. <laughs> the, the other thing about doing something that is locally focused or generated locally is I've had people ask why because I've been podcasting back for nearly eight and a half years. I've never done a local show till this one. Why Why are you doing a local show? You'll limit your audience. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. But I've also got to see these people face-to-face. Mm. It's not some unknown mass of people out in the wilderness in North America. It's people that if I don't do a really good job and represent myself and Mel well with the editing and the production, they're people that can tell me face-to-face, that thing you're doing is not very good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming it's the same when you're part of the football club, like – I think from um, well, what I get from what Beck said is that she really wants to to give these guys a, yeah. a step up as well. So there's an added pressure, yeah. like you said, you can't rush it, Beck, because you want it to be perfect. Absolutely. Um, and I, I feel like as well, and I might need to clip you around the ear a little bit, that mm-hmm. that level of self-doubt creeps in so that you probably take a little bit longer because you are questioning the decision that you're making and whether it is the right one or the wrong one. And I could be wrong, but I'm just... Yeah, I am relentless with all my work at going over and over and over and fine-tuning and fine-tuning and fine-tuning. And I think there is a, a saying that, you know, an art artist is never happy with their work. Quite often I'll, you know, finish a project and then go back and watch it two years later. I'm like, girl, what was wrong with you? What were you worried about? That was great, you know. <laughs> That's um, uh, similar to a song that I put up yesterday on Facebook. I, I found this song back on my Mac. I was cleaning the hard drive, and which I don't even wouldn't even know. Yeah, the first thing I had this. I had, I had this song called Track One. I'm like, why would I have called a song Track One? That's ludicrous. So I clicked on it, and it turned out to be a song that myself and a former singer that I was working with recorded about seven years ago, and it's the first time I've ever listened to it without the objective. Oh, I can hear that I wouldn't have done that on guitar or that guitar sounds not right or that drum part doesn't work. I was actually finally able to hear it as a song. And for the first time, I enjoyed it. 
So maybe I think you've got to have, sometimes it's worth going back and looking at your old work because you can see it without all that technical brain. You just listen to it as a a fan or not. (laughs) I was happy that the song didn't suck. (laughs) Yeah, and I've seen some of the stuff that you do and I will give you a pat on the back and say that it's, it's very good and and sometimes we are our own worst enemy of getting in that loop almost to to the point where you're in a looper pedal and it's like <laughs> how can I make this better how can yeah. I make this better oh I could have done this I could have done this and it's it happens um to me just when I'm doing little 30 second records for for an ad yeah. And I could take an hour doing that and then I'd go back and listen to the first one. I was like, oh, the first one was actually really fine. Good. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. So, um, I mean, I guess as, as painful as it is to carry that, the advantage is that, is that you your expectations are high enough that you will work hard and yeah. make something perfect because, as I said before, in such a competitive industry, you know, there's so much content in the world now, like it's crazy. So, you know, to have a, a chance of it being seen on a broadcast uh, station that it, you know, it has to be the bee's knees. So, yeah, there is a positive, a silver lining in the South. I think that <laughs> the name Ira Glass might not be that familiar to people, but he's the brains behind a podcast called This American Life, which is probably the progenitor to all of the storytelling type podcasts. It was the, the biggest one for a very long time. The documentary audio style, he's probably the king of that genre. And he said that your expectation always has to be paced in front of your audience. If what you're expecting to make is not as good as what they're expecting you to make, that you know, you're never going to get there. I don't think it's actually, as Beck's saying, I don't think it's a bad thing. It's better than the opposite. <laughs> oh, I, I think it's a good thing to hold yourself accountable. And, and for me, no one can judge me more harshly than what I would judge myself yeah. so yeah. Or, or my material that I've put out. So it's almost, yeah, if you can look at stuff um, quite constructively and see how you can do better, then that can be a benefit. But what I'm saying to you, Beck, is don't doubt what you can do because I've Thanks. seen it. <laughs> Thank <from> you. <laughs> Producer Mel's mouth, that yeah. one. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Well, do we want to now that we've just gone down a pure creative little yeah. sort of alleyway there? Do yeah. we want to wind things up? We and can just... wind things up and say thank you to the bee's knees of videography. And thank where you. where can people see your current work, Beck? Is there somewhere online that's got previous work, or even just see the trailer for sure. becoming uh, bulldogs? So becoming bulldogs has its own Facebook page, so you can uh, hop on there and check out the teaser. Um, I also have a Facebook page, Rebecca Randall Film and Photography, that will have my other work, which is mostly video and some, com- uh, sorry, wedding videos and some commercial videos in there as well and a lot of photography. So uh, if you want to check out my work, that's where you'll find it, Facebook. Awesome. Cool beans. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Beck. It was a, real, it was a pleasure getting to know you. Thank and you so much. I really appreciate you taking time. I know you're super busy, so yeah. thank you. That was much lovely. Appreciate. Thank you. And I will be touching base with you very soon. And enjoy those couple of days when the kids go back to school. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Thanks, Beck. Bye. Thanks. <laughs> Bye-bye. Wowzers. 
Good stuff, Mel. You are really, not only are you getting us coffees, but you're hitting the ball out of the park with these guests. I feel like I'm living up to the hashtag producer Mel now. And I would like to also... About five. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me just say, when you first called me producer Mel, I was just happy to have a title. (laughs) Yeah, you were happy to have your own hashtag. (laughs) And really, that's the only reason that I jumped on board was because you're like, oh, hashtag producer Mel. And I was like... Yeah, I like it. Yeah. it sounds and good. And you've got your own email. Yeah. And Producer I'm, uh, Mel at Outlook.com. Know, if you want to send a question or a guest suggestion, you can do that. So I'm probably the one who's going to have to check the email <laughs> inbox. But <laughs> Yeah, look, I'm not that far down the producer chain yeah, as no. it is. If co-host Mel sounded better as a hashtag, you probably would have been elevated. <laughs> no, I like Producer Mel. It makes me feel like I'm more important than what I actually am. Yeah, correct, which is all about making you feel important. One person who actually is important was our guest, who was just on Beck. Oh, so I'm just super impressed with the guests I've had on lately. Oh, yeah, just the best. <laughs> I like how it's all about you. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, no uh, she is – I was about to call her an impressive piece of work, but I feel like a piece of work has a, a negative connotation to it. Well, it's usually it. what you would say about a serial killer. Yeah, so. but dare I say a self-starter. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I like – you know what I really liked was I love meeting people that have a certain level of energy that's not overwhelming, but they still get stuff done. Because I feel yeah. like that's a little bit who I am. Yeah. Like a bit of a quiet achiever kind of get stuff done person. You did actually say, what did the tone that you said that that Beck has? It, I wasn't, I didn't know what, because I'm obviously only just met her, but yeah. she had a very soothing tone. Very and, soothing. Which is good when I'm in a room with you, because I need that. <laughs> Energy level to be offset slightly. <laughs> Don't think I have ever been called soothing. In no, my well, life. you're the opposite of that. You're oozing, if anything else. Oozing. Oh, no, oozing. Oh, oozing. <laughs> I don't know what oozing is, but a new word. A new for word. Our physicality is a word that we've come up with, and was that was a word? it physical? Well, this is where you got to listen to the podcast. <laughs> Maybe someone else can oozing. But Beck, yeah. So the reason that I got her on, and I'm glad that I did, is because I feel like. She sort of is a bit of a stick it to the man type thing. She's going against what is another lane thing. Yeah, she very much had a a kind of rebellious spirit without it bashing you over the head, which yeah. is something I also liked. So that was good. And obviously, we we will at the end yeah. of today play some audio from her amazing mm. little trailer. Yeah, and it, even just the voices are so. Engrossing, and yeah, yeah. Um, can I just throw something out there? You can where, throw where whatever you like. People sort of, some people act differently to different situations. I personally like Beck. I think when your back's up against the wall, will react productively and just stick it. And to the point where I now have a new nickname at work. I think we talked about this, but it never came up no. the last time you were here. So my general manager now calls me the cockroach. <laughs> I remember when you messaged me that and I thought, okay, I'd, normally I've managed to decipher all your crazy text messages that have no context, but that one I just could not follow. And I'll tell you how it came about is because uh, we were talking about how we were all going to cope like the corona lockdown and everything like that. And I'd sort of been tossing up whether what job I was in at the moment was something for me. 
And I sort of said, you know what? Nah, this is good for me. I I work much better when my back's up against the wall. Like I don't like things easy. <laughs> I like to make life hard for myself, I suppose. And he goes, yeah, you're like a little cockroach, aren't you? You just squirrel around into the darkness in the yeah. corner and then come out when <laughs> no one else is expecting you to. So I did that the other day and then an email got sent to me saying, thank you, cockroach. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Was it the fact that you very resilient young lady or was it the fact that he tried to spray two cans of mortine on your hair the day before and didn't do anything? Well, my hair would lead you to believe that that's exactly. what he did kind with the mortine. <laughs> but uh, no, it was, it's the resilient factor. So people would, yeah, there's a negative story that goes with a cockroach, but I'm going into the, it's a compliment. So Well, you should keep digging that hole until you find uh, something. At, like a cockroach. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. So cockroaches, quite often found in coffee cups, but that's not how we operate. No, I want a buymeacoffee.com, please, a full cup of coffee without a floating cockroach in it. That would be lovely. Yeah. Punchingsideways.com, click on the Buy Me A Coffee button, which is on every post and it's on the side of the website on every page. You can click play on there. Thank you to Beck. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Mel, for travelling once again in this time where things are just possibly starting to open up just enough for people to travel. It's awesome having you here in person. I don't think having two people, all of us remotely, would be anywhere near as fun or as good. No, no, it wouldn't be. Which is why we need coffees, because Mel's doing the extra yards at the moment. I know, I know. I'm putting in all the work here. You are. You're doing everything. <laughs> all the post everything. You're rating all the guests on Skype. and Exactly, exactly. Uh, so rate us five stars on, on, on your Skype, Skype review, please. <laughs> Go in Skype. Call one of us. Rate us five stars. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Okay, bye-bye. Disability is not much, really. We're all the same people. We get out there and we have a go. We are the Jets. We are an all-abilities football team. This year we're becoming Bulldogs. Two years ago I was approached to take on the Jets. They didn't fit into the NDIS model for the current organisation they are with. So the Woodonga Bulldogs were approached to take them on. The players from the, the Jets side show, you know, they demonstrate a real a real love for the game. Two groups Our club members love when the Jets come and we have, they have their game coming up on the weekend. They, they bring great, they a great personality, it's a great joy. excited I get with their 40 That's just very, very infectious. I'm the first female to play for the Jets. One of the factors that we are trying to address now, we've been going for 30 years, but there's a significant burnout factor in terms of, of uh, people running the clubs. So yeah, I put in my letter to say that it's probably I'm not the right person anymore to run the club. So. Good big nearly full-time role, paid full-time role to oversee and coordinate what's going on. People love the Jets still and it's, you know, but my view of inclusion is very different to that of a football club's view of inclusion. Thanks for coming.